0: Welcome to the Mile High Bite Show, your home for clips, news, bloopers, and more from the Mile High Flight Show team. I'm your host, Ryan Marinholtz, and let's jump right into this. So, week one has come and went, and there were plenty of surprises, but we're here to talk about one game, and one game only today, the Broncos versus the Seahawks. So, obviously, not the outcome the Broncos fans were hoping, uh, Seahawks ended up winning 17-16. to And let's just jump right into all of it. So, in the first half, uh, let's go through some notes for the Broncos here. The Broncos look sluggish on both sides of the ball to start, with the defense getting unnecessary penalties, missing a lot of tackles, and missing coverage assignments on multiple occasions, in part because of trying to cover the run at all costs, which was Hackett's game plan this week. The offense was able to move the ball efficiently, even through the sloppiness, uh, but struggled to get it into the end zone once they got into the red zone and their only touchdown on the day came from an underthrown deep ball to Judy that was able to catch and stay upright to run in for a 67-yard touchdown, good enough for what would have been the longest play of all of last season, and also Judy's first touchdown in the last two seasons. The running game looked absolutely fantastic from the jump, the offensive line got the push they needed, and both Javante and Melvin ran well, often getting to the second or third level on their runs. Uh, Both sides of the ball noticeably got more comfortable as the half went on. And though Russ looked mostly fantastic, he did have two dropped interceptions. They were just straight-up badly placed balls, uh, both near the end zone, one to uh, Jamal Adams there and one to Quandre Diggs. And uh, the Quandre Diggs one, granted, I understand he threw it up for Cortland. uh, But at the end of the day, it was into double coverage against a physical cornerback in uh, Mike Jackson, who was able to uh, keep C- uh, Cortland away from him. So then, going on to some of the Seahawks notes for this first half, the Seahawks came out looking like the fresher, more ready team, and Jamal Adams was on a rampage uh, before he unfortunately tore his quad muscle. Geno Smith looked absolutely amazing in the first half executing extremely well, finding the quick open throws to his weapons, and when things broke down, he was able to scramble, usually forward in the pocket, and get the defense to jump on the run before throwing. He got multiple big plays, as well as the opening touchdown on plays like this. The Seahawks were also able to run the ball pretty well initially, in part due to lackluster tackling from the Broncos' defense. Seahawks got almost every break in this game, fumbling three times and only losing it once, and... Had a lot of unnecessary penalties in the first half as well. Uh, Just a very sloppy first half from both teams. But the Seahawks came out ready. They came out amped up. Uh, This is what they've been working towards all offseason. This is what they wanted. Uh, You know, you talk about the crowd booing Russell Wilson, which is classless, if you ask me, uh, given all that he's done for that franchise. But at the end of the day, that's the attitude. And uh, that's the team took that and ran with it. uh, And they came out strong. So moving on to the second half, uh, in the second half, these teams looked more like we expect them to in the rest of the regular season, with the Broncos D stepping in to completely shut down the Seahawks' offense in the second half, allowing zero points and forcing a turnover at an absolutely crucial point in the game uh, that would have been game-winning had the offense taken advantage of it. So some Broncos notes in that second half, the offense moved the ball amazingly well between the 20s, but in the red zone struggled to complete passes and had two back-to-back goal-line fumbles, ending both of those drives without any points at all, despite dominating the possession. Absolutely unacceptable. And you talk about Melvin, this has been a recurring issue for him right at the goal line. He cannot hold onto the ball. He's a solid running back otherwise, but how many times do you have to see it? How many times do you have to see it? It happens constantly and it's in crucial moments you think back to the Kansas City game last year same thing It it's so rough and it's a momentum killer but the Broncos came back and the the defense was able to get a uh, solid turnover there to give the ball back to the Broncos and give them another opportunity and unfortunately Javante fumbled it on the goal line that cannot happen it just can't it's absolutely unacceptable more unnecessary penalties, with multiple delay of game uh, penalties as well. In part due to the atmosphere provided by Seattle fans, literally all game long, uh, it was so loud that they had to use a silent count. Uh, you know, you could tell Russell had to say the play call multiple times in the huddle. You even had players like think they they had the play call, and then they came back towards Russell Wilson to just make sure. Um, and some miscommunications throughout. Yeah, on the Javante goal line fumble. Um, I believe it was Graham Glasgow, the guard. He thought that, and he came out after the game and said he thought that it was a, uh, or it was initially a pass play, but the play was changed by Russell to a run play, and he did not uh, hear the communication there, and so he set up for a pass block, got in Javante's way uh, in the backfield there, and uh, just spiraled. After the fumbles on the Broncos' third red zone trip of the second half. Hackett was noticeably reluctant to run the go- uh, run on the goal line, choosing to force passes and settle for a field goal to make it a one-point game. Uh, at that point, yeah, 17-16, and then Cortland Sutton also had a critical false start that pushed the Broncos back from the three to the eight-yard line, which could have contributed to that choice not to run. Um, but yeah, Bradley Chubb looked like a game wrecker in the second half with two sacks one of which sealed the Seahawks' last drive to set up the Broncos' offense with plenty of time to win it. So a great game for him. He really showed up. Uh, The Broncos' D stepped up one last time and didn't allow the Seahawks to run out the clock, giving Russ and the offense three minutes to work with on the final drive. And rather than moving the ball down as quickly as possible, they chose to run it out and take a 64-yard field goal attempt from Brandon McManus, who clarified after the game that that was his spot to get to and he had the distance on both his iced attempt and the real attempt, but pulled left both times. And so at the end of the day, you know, well, we'll talk about it in a second, but on the final fourth and five, the Broncos still had timeouts to work with in 40-plus seconds and could have taken time to at least regroup, uh, but instead chose to run it out and kick. Uh, everybody's talking about the meme with the uh, Manning cast there and Peyton Manning sitting there like, Hitting his hands together with a T symbol, he's like, "Call a freaking timeout." And I don't know. I'm I'm back and forth on this decision from Nathaniel Hackett. I think that uh, the people making it out to be like Nathaniel Hackett is completely clueless and had no idea what he was doing. Is that's just asinine. The especially understanding that Brandon McManus's point to get to was the exact yard line. Hackett stood by his dude. At the end of the day, Hackett stood by his kicker, right? And I find it especially funny considering how uh, we talk about Vic Fangio's tenure and the problems he had with Brandon McManus and how he almost never let him take a uh, field goal past 50 yards. He just had this reluctance to do that. Um, And Brandon McManus got extremely frustrated. And in uh, Nathaniel Hackett's very first game as Broncos head coach, he gives Brandon that opportunity. And unfortunately, it did not work out. Um, But at the end of the day, he stood by his players. You know what I mean? So I at least support that. Um, But do I also think that they could have gone for that fourth and five? You think about how they've moved the ball between the 20s the entire game, even in the beginning when it was sloppy. Five yards, not a given, but very, very gettable. And so, and especially when you have, I believe they had two timeouts left at that point, with 40-plus seconds, um, had they taken a timeout, I believe they would have had two left um, because they ended up taking a timeout anyways as the play clock was about to expire with, like, 20 seconds left uh, on the, the real clock. And so, you know, there's there's an element to it. that You can say it's sloppy, yes, I understand that, or that they didn't know what they were doing or whatever. But at the end of the day, Hackett chose to stick with his kicker. He chose to support his dude. Um, and that's the choice he made, and it didn't work out this time. Uh, but it's his first game, guys. Just just chill a little bit. And I, I would have been a little bit more concerned had he just been like, oh, I don't know. But the fact that it was Brandon McManus' specific point to get to, right? So Nathaniel Hackett knew that. That's obviously part of the decision-making process. Um, they're trying to, if he decides to take that kick, right, you're trying to run out the clock as much as you can, so that the Seahawks don't have an opportunity to go and kick another field goal and then win it anyway. So I don't think it's as boneheaded of a decision as people are trying to make it out to be. Uh, Let's go through some Seahawks notes in that second half. The offense fell back down to earth in the second half, not being able to get anything done against a motivated Broncos defense uh, after giving up 17 points in the first half there and letting the Seahawks offense look way better, way better than they are. The red zone defense was stellar, forcing two goal line fumbles and having very solid coverage on the outside. Uh, and I can't say enough about that. I mean, I know I'm salty because I'm a Broncos fan, but the Seahawks really did play well today, especially on uh, you know in that red zone defense. They really made it hard for the Broncos all day. And then Seahawks rookie and young corners played fantastically all game, outside of a few penalties. Uh, in particular, Mike Jackson had a hell of a game, uh, often covering Cortland Sutton. Tariq Woolen showed his physicality and athleticism, and Kobe Bryant was solid to start as well. And can't say enough about those guys. That was the Seahawks' biggest weakness, other than, I guess, quarterback. Uh, when you look at this roster going into the game, is just the in- inexperience they had at the cornerback position. And those guys showed up, they really did. Seahawks special teams looked great all day, delivering a nice hit on Montrell Washington at one point that hyped up the entire team even more than they already were. Uh, and you know those plays are invaluable for sure for a team. So Broncos fans, let's let's just calm down a little bit here. Let's just chill, right? When you look back at the game, at the end of the day, you can see where the offense is headed, and frankly, they already look better than I thought that they would this early into the season. They moved the ball extremely well in both phases, but struggled mightily in the red zone against a very solid Seahawks defensive line and shot themselves in the foot time and time again with penalties. It's not to say the sloppiness is not a concern, because it is, but let's add in the context that this is an entire new coaching staff that played their first game in all of their new positions, including Nathaniel Hackett, and these things often come with time and working out the kinks. And this was also the starters' first live action on both sides of the ball, and it very much showed in the first half. That's something we've talked about multiple times prior leading up to this game, uh, the decision to not play them in uh, the preseason at all. And, you know, you could very noticeably tell the difference, offensively and defensively, from the first half to the second half in terms of comfort, in terms of physicality, uh, just general game speed. It took them some time to get going. And that's when the Seahawks were able to score their points, um, and unfortunately the Broncos were not able to come back from that. And we always knew this was going to be a possibility. And even going to my Seahawks, or going back to my Seahawks breakdown, I said unless everything goes wrong, the Broncos should win this game. Well, guess what? Everything, and I mean everything, went wrong for the Broncos today, and they still only lost by one point and had 35 points worth of drives on the table if they were able to punch it into the end zone on those three red zone drives. Russ was also able to rack up 340 passing yards and a touchdown on 29 of 42 completions, uh, looking like what we hoped from him even, though the, or even through the initial sloppiness. The turnovers killed the game, and had they gotten even one field goal from those two red zone trips uh, in which they fumbled... And lost the ball completely and came away with zero points total they would have won that game at the end of the day the seahawks played an emotional game as this may as well have been their super bowl Uh, they played well and they won but the true reality is that the broncos beat themselves take a step back and realize the broncos have bigger aspirations with the level of talent on this team and their 16 games left in this season and beyond that russ is locked in for the long term Even if this first season with Hackett and Rust doesn't turn out how we want it, there's plenty of time to grow and mesh. With that said, the red zone offense and the penalties have to be better next week against the Texans, and there's no excuse. Uh, They looked awful in this game, and the only reason we were in this game, and I'm sorry Seahawks fans, but the only reason we were still in this game with all of the sloppiness and the penalties we had is because the Seahawks are a bad team. If we do this against even a mediocre team, we will get absolutely ass-blasted. Like, it's just, you can't do that. You can't do half of what we did in this game and expect to win against a good team. So, for this season, if we expect to actually go anywhere, that has to be cleared up immediately, as quick as possible. Um, Because, yeah, I mean, you can, again, you can see the direction here. They already looked solid. They were able to put some really good drives together. The defense looked great in the second half, exactly how we hoped them to look. Um, But unfortunately, you just shot yourself in the foot one too many, not even one too many times, like five too many times. You just can't do that at all. So now that that's out of the way, let's talk about some more injury updates. Dak Prescott underwent surgery on his fractured thumb is hoped to return in 46, uh, four to six weeks for the Cowboys, and in very lucky news, MRIs revealed TJ Watt may not need surgery on his pec and will hopefully be back at some point this season. No timetable has been given yet, but some estimates say possibly around six weeks for his return. As we mentioned earlier, Seahawks safety Jamal Adams suffered a torn quad during the Broncos game. Unfortunate for him and potentially season-ending. Najee Harris re-aggravated his Liz Frank injury in his foot, uh, but is expected to be fine. And then Keenan Allen suffered a hamstring injury against the Raiders Sunday, but has a chance to be ready for Thursday, uh, and if not, he should be good to go week three. Mac Jones suffered back spasms and should also be good to go. Uh, It was feared that that was going to be a more severe back injury, but luckily just spasms. Ravens cornerback Kyle Fuller suffered a torn ACL against the Jets, and his season is now over, unfortunately. Eagles defensive end Derek Barnett also suffered a torn ACL and will be out for the year. Bucks wide receiver Chris Godwin did not suffer knee damage, as was concerned, uh, but did have a hamstring strain, which will cause him to miss some time. Commander's defensive tackle Fidarian Mathis suffered a torn meniscus and will have season-ending surgery. And yeah, I mean some rough injuries obviously we talk about it you know football's a very dangerous sport you hate to see all these players get injured and this isn't even everybody this is just uh some of the bigger names but um our hearts go out to those guys especially the ones missing the entire season and uh hopefully those who have a chance to get back can get back as quick as possible to help their teams out so that'll do it for this edition of the Mile High Bite show make sure you guys find us on social media our Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube is at Mile High Flight Show, and our Twitter and merch on Redbubble can be found at M H F S Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you guys later.